Isabella, do you want to introduce yourself and let people know who you are and where you're coming from? Yeah, so I am a designer at a large national museum in DC. And mainly my role there is designing exhibits, but I've also kind of expanded the, the boundaries and brought in some facilitation interest and expertise, and then also have spent some time contributing, thinking about public space, which for us is basically a very large museum. So all the spaces in between the, the exhibitions themselves are kind of in some ways public space. They're, they're almost like the, you know, the walking paths or the parks <laughs> of our very large museum. And so I've worked on those types of projects too there. Uh, we've been having these like Saturday afternoon meetings where we're, we're planning these workshops, which I've already written to a, the, the newsletter list about. So probably some people already know about those, but we've been having these Saturday afternoon calls and, you know, I just got this weird idea that maybe we have a lot to talk about today. So maybe we'd record and see where this goes. I've been trying to get you to write a, a guest newsletter for a long time. Uh, so this is my sneaky way of getting you into the newsletter. I like your, your kind of circuitous method of getting mm -hmm. in. <laughs> yeah, it can be persistent. So we had this the call on Thursday with Kim Keel, and you, I know you dialed in for that. And I, we, you know, we found ourselves talking a lot about reimagining and innovation. And uh, I know you were dialed in, so you had some trouble jumping in on the call. And I uh, <laughs> feel like you have a lot to say, a lot to say about those topics. I wasn't able to jump in very easily. I couldn't figure out whether it was star six or six star, whatever it was for... <laughs> phone call in. I ended up taking a lot of notes and I drew this this little diagram of like a a big monolithic museum at the top and then all these other kind of thoughts that came in below. And I oh. thought that that it came up a few times the idea of um, this emphasis on getting people back into the building and how the demand of having this space and needing this space to be occupied for it to feel like the museum is a museum was really interesting to me, particularly as a designer, because, you know, space is obviously something that is important to me. And so is the idea of place with a capital P, like the idea of location and the resonance of, of a site that you visit and the importance of that. But I, I, I connect with a, a lot because I feel like museum is more than just its site. And I think even as somebody whose job it is to think about space and think about site, I've, I've wanted to be more involved in the other dimensions of where design could live and what a museum could be. And, you know, I secretly have thought about the fact that maybe in the far far future museums will actually be a form of media like we'll just be media companies producing content for people and not even need a site you know wouldn't that be um kind of a crazy idea but anyway the point is that there's so many obligations attached to site like so many needs that create triage where we're just trying to like we're trying to tie off the part that's bleeding and like, well, we just have to get it. We just have to get it pumping again. Like that's what we are. We are 
this, this infrastructure, which includes architecture. And I thought that was a really, really good point. But the other things that came up, just to refer back to the diagram that I wrote down, were the idea of letting go of old definitions, letting go of actions that we normally take. Literally, I wrote shitty museum model. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Which was, that, that was from the conversation about ticket admissions. That was such a great point. I can't remember who made that, but who was talking about the fact that we lose money on every ticket anyways. It's like, it's already non-functioning. It's literally already bleeding, but we see the, you know, we see the, the, the heart attack more clearly that we're in right now. The idea of sitting with discomfort the idea of strategy and then of course what could a museum be which ended up coming up at the end with that amazing mm -hmm. strategic doing comment that kimberly she mm -hmm. was talking about that project which i really want to look up i don't know there was just so many interesting things it's like i can't even focus on on one thing that was standout because it was just such a wide-ranging, wonderful conversation. The woman who was talking about liminal space and rites of passage, mm -hmm. do you remember that? That was like yeah. such a, that's like, that has come up just in so many different forms over this time period, pandemic as portal, like thresholds, all of that. That was just such a good, you know, reminder to where we are in like the larger scheme of things. Anyways, I'm not really answering your questions because I didn't have a standout <laughs> thing. I well, thought there was so much there. Yeah, I, I agree. I really want you to, to give me a copy of that little sketch note thing. You should <laughs> sure. have been the one in mural drawing stuff because I was just like, write it down in the worst handwriting possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I want to see that if you want to share it. But you were saying like, oh, maybe uh, museums will just be sort of media companies in the future. I heard a whole lot of people listening recoil in horror. I know that there's there's probably a lot of uh, readers of the newsletter who, you know, they have a very, they have a little bit of a fixed idea that, you know, museum experiences are in person. And there's no question that there's a lot to be said for that. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, the other thing that comes up as part of some cost is you think of kind of leaders in the field like, you know, Rainey Tisdale and people who are part of thinking about active collections. So collections are also a form of sunk cost where we continue to maintain and accession things that are no longer reflecting the mission that an organization has. And, and there's an unwillingness to actually shed that which is not functioning for an organization. So it happens in other forms too. It's not just the building. And I think there are a lot of people who argue for more willingness in the field to be more facile and reflective on what is actually working and why <laughs> so that you can um, kind of have a bit of a lighter, you know, lighter lift in terms of actually being able to get stuff done. When I think about the size of the museum that I work at and how much um, effort goes into maintaining it, it is truly Herculean. But then the side note of that is not even just the building, it's also the number of like permanent exhibitions that we have that have to be maintained. And one of the ways that we 
you know, the kind of the standard way that we even design those exhibitions is doesn't even leave room for us to relate it to current circumstances. So you have an exhibit that's up for 20 or 30 years and, you know, you've got references uh, to laws or, you know, kind of progress in various forms that that are outdated that you then need to update and recontextualize, you know, the museum world that I think could become, I don't know, less fixed, you know, more of a, a, a kind of a growth and evolutionary mindset. A lot of people that I respect have referred to work of Adrienne Marie Brown, who I really like, and uh, she wrote this book called Emergent Strategy that's all about kind of looking at different references in nature to emergence, you know, the idea of kind of you know, knowledge that evolves, that, that is kind of created by a collective and allowing for kind of a flexibility within the way that a co collective action happens. And museums could learn so much from that. Like, you know, our, we're, we're dealing with nature all the time. The objects in our collection actually want to fall apart. We're fighting against nature. <laughs> like, so I don't know. I, I wish that we could become more emergent, I think, is what I'm trying to say, as opposed to the traditional definition of preservationist. But even people in the preservation field would probably be able to argue for how it can be emergent as well. Mm. I'm thinking of a conversation I had the other day with Indy Young about, she was talking about, she had this great word that she heard from somebody else, and I can't remember their name now, but it was the, the it wasn't the underserved. Instead of underserved, it was the underestimated. And that's just stuck with me so much. You know, oh. there's, there's so many of these people who are underserved is, is such a... It's pejorative. Yes. Thank you. Yes, yeah. it is. And, and underestimated is so beautiful because it, it, it refers to how down. they're un, uncounted in so many yeah. ways, right? I love that. I mean, the, the, I, that reminds me of the idea of soft racism, right? Which is mm -hmm. like, you, you think that you're doing well because you assume that certain people can only handle so much or are capable of so much. So you're like, well, you know, there, we've done enough because, you know, there's, they've reached a certain line or something like that. And it is, it is a way of saying that someone else has a, a barrier that has nothing to do with you when actually you are kind of assuming the barrier which is the switch between underestimated and, um, sorry, underserved to underestimated, because when you're underestimating, it's that I am underestimating. <laughs> oh, like the burden mm. is on my perception, not, not the person that I'm speaking about. Um, yeah, that's, that's actually a great way to think of it. That's so clarifying to me anyway, you know, like, yeah, it, it does kind of flip the, the burden, doesn't it? Yes. Or the burden isn't quite the right word, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Responsibility, right? The yeah, responsibility. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That makes me think, of, you know, as a designer, where do you draw that line between designing for people's limitations and things like cognitive load, which we all 
have to varying degrees. And certainly like these days, maybe more than ever, you know, a lot of us are a bit more limited in the kind of stress and things that we can navigate just in a day-to-day way. So where do you draw the line between, okay, I'm going to design in a respectful way for people's limitations versus I'm going to design it this way because that's all they can handle. It's sort of a dismissive, right? It, it switches into this disrespectful, more dismissive thing. It seems like a fine line when I think about it. Yeah, it's a really good question. So I can answer that in two ways. And so I think I'd like to try. Um, one is the aspirational answer, like where, how I would like to be able to answer that question and then what I'm able to do right now and, and what we're able to do in, you know, the process in which work. I just want to jump in here with a quick edit because at this point in the conversation, Isabella refers to the roundtable conversation that we had, the discussion last week, and in that discussion, someone had mentioned that they often saw museums as being rather arrogant, and Isabella here was just saying that she she sees that as well often, and I want to preserve the privacy of the folks who contribute to the roundtable discussions, so... This is me uh, trying not to interrupt the flow of the conversation, but really interrupting the flow of the conversation. Back to Isabella. You know, recently Lonnie Bunch put out an article in, he was interviewed, I think, in the New York Times. And he said this quote, which was, uh, we, you know, we, I'm not quoting it well, actually, but I'm going to get part of it right which is that we want to be the centers of our community, not community centers. And I read that and I was like, what's the difference? I don't understand what the difference is. Like, that sounds like a semantic distinction to me. And he is an amazing year for the Smithsonian and he's done amazing things. But I feel like that's kind of an arrogant distinction, (laughs) you know, like, what what is the difference? One is prioritizing place, right? And the other is prioritizing, put, put community first, but both of them use the same word. Anyway, I don't need to harp on that too much. But my point is that aspirationally, I wish that we were more able to design with all of those kind of factors in mind and that we spent a long amount of time thinking about the messaging of the exhibitions that we're making and why we're doing them in a really profound way in terms of how they live within the context of our time and in the broad sense, like on a maybe in a local sense, maybe a national sense, maybe even a planetary sense you know, beyond human impact into like a more than human type of thinking. And we don't, we don't really spend a lot of time doing that right now. We don't have the time, put it that way. We're, we're always struggling with the limitations of how many people are on the project, how many people have to touch decisions, how little time we have to do certain phases of projects. So, you know, the 
the whole process would need to be put into question, I think, to bring into it more, to use your language, like opportunity research into making mm -hmm. exhibitions. But right now, I think that, you know, the conversations are limited to what's within our most immediate purview. So the audiences that are literally coming through our doors, not the audiences we hope will be coming through our doors or we want to be coming through our doors. And even, you know, I've experienced processes in which decisions have been made based on how past exhibitions have been done. A similar type of exhibition was like this, therefore that is the model that we should follow. That's best practices, you know. And it's it's limiting. I mean, mm. I can do it. As a designer, I feel like I can I can make anything look good. I can make anything communicate, but it doesn't mean that I feel like it is truly capturing something new, capturing the essence of, of, of why this thing must exist now. Why, when we have so many exhibitions that are talking about similar topics in different museums and other places, are we unique to do this exhibition? And, and I, I wish that we could do more of that. I don't know yeah. if that fully answers your question, but maybe it thinks of, maybe it makes you think of other questions. <laughs> What you're saying there reminds me of another thing we were talking about, you know, that sense of individuation. And of course, then we were talking about it in terms of strategy, individuating strategy. And, you know, it sounds mm -hmm. like you're talking about it at a different sort of level, equally important, though different level, which is content design or that sort of productive, more traditionally productive work. Is that a fair, fair way to characterize yeah, I mean, it? I'm I, not think sure. of, I think of design as using strategy, too. Like, I, sure. I'm always thinking about the strategy for each project that I'm in. It doesn't always mean that it's the best, most innovative line of thinking that you can imagine. Sometimes I end up in positions where I'm like, well, it's blue because I decided it's blue. You know, like mm -hmm. that happens. But but I try and and always have some like really kind of, I don't know, like, like essence to the project that can be explained quickly and and meaningfully and how it ties into, okay, you have this this kind of verbal message, this like, you know, sequence of thoughts that you're trying to convey. And here's how visual communication is going to convey that before people can even read a word. You know, that's that's where the strategy comes in for me. But I, I wish that it was able to be start earlier. You know, that's what I mean by the like opportunity research. It, it we don't really have we don't have much phasing before the content is proposed. Like mm -hmm. the context the content gets proposed, the exhibitions get proposed because somebody, an individual has decided to propose it. There isn't a overarching kind of museum-wide strategy right now. There might be in the future. We're working towards that, but it, it doesn't it, it doesn't exist in practicality yet, you know? So I'm always fascinated by that, that idea of where, where ideas come from. But in this context, you know, it's like where you, you talk about that individual, where does their idea come from? You know, I, I assume that it's based on, it's sort of grounded in their expertise and interest. Is that right? Yeah. 
Yeah, and yeah. in the way that it's structured where I work, it's curatorially led. So it's basically the research that they're already doing. And mm -hmm. our curators are hired to focus in a specific area. So mm -hmm. they're both collecting and, you know, proposing objects for a session, doing research, publishing within the field, and doing exhibitions. It makes me think of, you know, what you're saying there about Lonnie Bunch and his community center, center community. So the antithesis of that, like, okay, so we have these experts in here who are unquestionably like providing value, right? And central yeah, to, to the work yeah. that's being done, you know, but the alternative to things originating purely from that expertise is that community interest, right? And that's kind of where this opportunity research or foundational research comes from, which is you know, paying close attention to how people are making decisions about where to, how to meet their goals now without regard yeah. to the organization. And what that, the, anytime you, again, I was thinking of this conversation I had with Indy Young the other day, you know, anytime you, there's a gap, I was, I was saying, you know, another name for a gap is an opportunity, right? I mean, you can look at it right, as a negative right. or, or an opportunity. And, and that sort of like that deeper sort of listening and, and learning from people and seeing originating these new ideas and new content from that place rather than only the expertise in sort of in-house is something that I'm always on the lookout for. Have you seen that that yeah. much? You see that many places? Well, I mean, you're just, you're bringing me back to your original question, which was the idea of like, you know, is it, that question of designing and anticipating limitations, like does that lead mm -hmm. to you sometimes being dismissive versus meeting people where they are? And it's mm. literally the same thing as looking at something as a gap versus an opportunity, right? <laughs> um, mm. And I think that you're talking about like a mindset shift, you know, and sometimes in design thinking, you hear the terminology of like fixed versus growth mindset, right? Where mm. you, the fixed is like, well, I have, I have, I have resources and I have scarcity in certain areas and I'm going to have to make decisions in order to be efficient to borrow from your conversation Thursday in order to maintain the path that we're on. And then the growth mindset is, well, I have limited resources. And so I need to figure out ways to be able to continue to, you know, make new things, come up with new ideas, try new things out so that we can stay on the path that we're on. So I guess now I'm thinking that we actually have uh, some workshopping to plan, right? So mm -hmm. maybe we should wind this Seven down and, and shift focus. Sure. Yeah. So, but, you know, I, I guess we could let people know that we are, we're working on some workshops together, right? And hopefully we'll have yeah. some news to share about that soon yeah. and i'm hoping that you can make it but i am going to start doing meetings every other roundtables every other week about this topic of innovation and reimagining and since you are radical museum futures on twitter <laughs> uh, i would love it i hope that you can attend at least some of those yeah me too it sounds great I'm excited for you and everyone who participates. The one on Thursday was really awesome. <laughs> and speaking of which, what, what people can follow you, find you where online? Well, I did, as Kyle mentioned, start a project called Radical Museum Futures that is about kind of 
fostering creativity and imagination in museum practice. And we're going to be using kind of sci-fi worlds as the starting place to write alternate realities for museums. It's going to be really fun and interesting, and it's going to evolve over time. So I don't really know exactly what it will be yet. So that's at Museum FFFF, that's four F. And then I'm also just kind of myself on Twitter at the handle at the new pop-up. Awesome. Yeah, I'll be sure to include uh, links to those accounts in the show notes. And I think we should just do this every week. I think we should just go all out yeah. and do a half hour podcast right. every week. So, Great. okay. To be continued. Better and not rambling as much. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I love that. I love it. It's not rambling if it, if it right. opens up more questions and possibilities. <laughs>